That is the sound of the tropics recorded live at WMSE actually here in Milwaukee. It's on one of their albums. I'm going to put a link to uh, one of their their, their uh, fundraising albums. Welcome back to uh, Honorable Evolution. My name is Marcel, and we are here to celebrate those who have been taking care, exquisite care of themselves, and uh, and so much so that they they feed others and. And it's. I was thinking about the word celebrity today, actually this morning, and how, I mean, it has celebrate in it, and it's it's you know we're we're honoring people where we're um, I guess we're paying attention to people who have done a lot of work in their craft. That's pr- mostly why they're a celebrity because they stand out in whatever you know, you know. Of course, there's that's the, not always the case, but you think of someone who's a a master tennis player and you know they put a lot of hours into being able to to be that good. And so this show is about celebrating people who have dedicated their lives to taking care of themselves. And uh and so today I am uh, honored to be speaking with Guishok. The artist for Guishok. Guishok. And uh-huh. and I'm going to I'm just going to start out by saying why that's difficult for me to say other than I'm a Anglo who grew up speaking Spanish and English because I, I, I know you as Peggy and, uh, you are one of Peggy uh, Guisok was, uh, uh, my, one of my first Iyengar teachers here in Milwaukee at the river West yoga Shala. And, uh, she has since migrated to Detroit where she was, she was called. I wasn't sure if you'd, you'd stay there, but you stayed. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so thanks for joining me so much. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I, I love the concept of this show. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, honored to be part of the conversation. That's great. Yeah, I um, you know, so so something that came to me, and I don't know if this is a good place to start, but this morning I was in the woods and I was thinking about pain mm-hmm. and how important pain is to to us as. Um, beings who are are kind of working to take care of ourselves, and yeah, and, and yeah, what what does that bring up for you? Yeah, I think that's a a great question. So, um, I think you know, part of being healthy, part of prioritizing health, is to be on a continual path of growth, because health requires constantly evolving, shifting, adapting, modifying, and to uh, live on that edge between stability and mobility, mm. to live on that uh, mm. precipice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the, the growth edge. And so I think one of the most important things that we yes. can learn and develop and practice is to discern you know, how far we can go from that growth edge, how far we can yeah. go from the precipice. And it's going to be different day by day, moment to moment, but um, maybe the willingness to prioritize health is the willingness to be on that growth edge. Yeah. And there are times when, uh, when we have to pull way back from the precipice and we have to just like hunker down and just survive. And that is also a very honorable place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But if when we are feeling stable and secure enough, yeah. To to be to return to that growth edge, then it's definitely uncomfortable, and it's often painful, 
uh, you know, Resma Medicum uses the term clean pain and dirty pain. And so I think a lot of what we do in in my primary practice, which is Iyengar yoga, mm-hmm. but really Iyengar yoga um, in terms of how we live our lives. Um, so one of the most important things that we can learn is how to distinguish between clean pain, dirty pain, injurious pain, forceful pain, mm-hmm. aggressive pain, mm-hmm. and just the discomfort, mm-hmm. the discomfort of being in a new place, uh, having sensations that are different and new and maybe more intense than you've ever experienced. And um, being in that mystery, but really being in that mystery in a discerning way so that we're not just like pursuing pain for the sake of pain. We are experiencing discomfort Mm -hmm. and maybe deliberately putting ourselves into uncomfortable positions, uncomfortable shapes, Uh. literally, in order to discover something in, in order to figure out what's, what's causing the pain, what are the blockages, what's holding me back, where am I, where am I working too hard, where am I not working hard enough, yeah. where do I need to put more attention, where do I need to shift my attention, um, what are the places that are, that are um, preventing me from moving further, what are the places that I'm um, abusing in order to try to move further? So those are all kinds of um, some of the queries that I think we need to use when we are talking about pain, when we're experiencing pain, is to learn how to be really intelligent and discerning with pain. Mm. I, I think that in a way our culture worships pain. Hmm. You know that really? that that. Um, I was just thinking no about pain. how much we're we're we're, we're we, we worship comfort. Well, I, maybe the the uh, worship of pain is is um, usually in an uh, aggressive and forceful and, and um, domineering way. It's a, a sadistic way, I guess you could say, yeah, a sadistic yeah. or masochistic way. Um, and uh, and and lots of times we think it's the antidote, you know, like that "no pain, no gain" mm-hmm. motto. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think you're also right that that. That our culture worships comfort, especially <laughs> times like this when there's so much uncertainty, so much upheaval, so much turmoil, and everybody wants to kind of recede back into the familiar, recede back into what is comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I think we could just stop there and that like people can just listen to that a few times and, and unpack it. <laughs> there's so much mm. there. The the thing that really jumped out to me, or one of the first things that you said that really jumped out to me, was this this balance between stability and mobility. Yeah, and, and I and I see so much of that in my life because I'm very adaptable to situations. Mm-hmm. Where where I've been really trying to focus in on is the stability part of what what am I grounded in? What am I gonna? Yeah. Where am I gonna stick my anchor? And rather than yeah. just kind of you know being able to be uber uh, flexible. Right. Yeah, I guess I, I see, um, you know, you could broadly say uh, that there are two kinds of people in the world. I mean, from an, once again, from an Iyengar yoga standpoint, it's like the hyper-flexible and the hypo-flexible. Mm-hmm. And um, the people who are hypo-flexible, you know, people who have like really um, strong but stiff bodies and limited range of motion, um, they have been 
holding it together, maybe for generations, maybe for millennia, you know, and uh, often people who have experienced a lot of trauma um, uh, and um, people who have had to, you know, wear that armor, literally wear that armor day in and day out um, for years on end. Um, and so in order to have that stability in their lives and in, in their emotional lives and in their physical lives, um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, I also meet people who are like hyper mobile mm -hmm. in terms of like not having that grounding, not having the stability, and they're often prone to injury yeah. because there's not an anchor, mm -hmm. there's not a connection to the earth. And, um, so maybe, you know, speaking of earth, that one way to look at it is a balance of the elements. So from a yoga perspective, we've got earth water, fire, air, and ether. And so part of experiencing health is uh, continually um, developing and tweaking and, um, and playing with the balance of all the five elements. And so then I would say a person who is very stable but stiff has a lot of earth element and it's probably been necessary for them. It's, um, at, mm -hmm. to some point mm -hmm. and then um the people who are hypermobile and and, and it doesn't and it sorry to interrupt but i just want to pull there real quick just you know it doesn't because it doesn't work all the time doesn't mean you need to get rid of it right no not at all yeah because we really need both we need all that five yeah. elements because you know like um, how how like like we see something about ourselves that is not working it's it's defective we don't like it and and yeah. then and then our mind has you know oh we need to get rid of that i need to stop that right but, yeah but it's it's worked you said so i mean you said it's 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 served a purpose over the time yeah you know i think that part of my movement moving from milwaukee to detroit was um, uh, to disrupt that stability within myself, you mm -hmm. know, because I was at like a very stable place in Milwaukee, but I knew that there was still so much more I had to learn. And so moving to Detroit in 2013 was like to, was prioritizing, yeah. was create deliberately creating instability yeah. so that I could uh, learn what I needed to learn. Um, and, uh, um, and part of moving to Detroit was changing my teaching style, frankly, because what I encountered in Detroit, you know, especially when I was like doing classes with my neighbors and, you know, doing community-based classes, mm -hmm. um, that, mm. that the people of Detroit are such survivors. They've been through so much. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so to open up physically, um, is terrifying yeah. and painful. And, uh, and so I had to uh, figure out how to create a very stable learning environment where people would only need to go as far as they felt safe going. And, you know, I feel like, to be really frank, with like uh, white middle class, upper middle class students, I can push, push, push. Okay. And um, to some, you know, in, in generally speaking. Yeah. And, um, and uh, for the most part, they're willing to go along with it. But what I found was when I'm working with 
people who have experienced communities that have experienced a tremendous amount of trauma, mm -hmm. including uh, poverty, violence, um, you know, generations of, uh, of institutional racism, white supremacy, um, and, you know, their water's being shut off mm -hmm. and their home is in foreclosure. I mean, there's so many things. Layers and layers. And not to say that everybody in Detroit is in that no, situation, yeah. but, but definitely, you know, when I was teaching in my neighborhood on my block to my neighbors, a lot of my neighbors were, were experiencing some of those issues. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I had to learn how to really meet them where they are not push so hard, open the door for them to enter in their own way on their own time. And, um, and you know, just like uh, titrate that experience of discomfort and pain. Mm -hmm. Because um, people who've been traumatized, people who have uh, been in marginalized communities are constantly in discomfort, yeah. are always in pain. Yeah. Always. And so, so it doesn't, we don't have to artificially induce it through an asana. Would you, would you, you know? say that you've seen that in, in folks who come from the majority culture who have experienced trauma in their past and come to yoga, come to Iyengar, you know, um, that they also, it, it has to be titrated? Yeah, but see, I think that maybe what I mean, what I'm hearing from you, I, and I don't, I might be making assumptions myself, but I would say of myself, and maybe people like you that um, I have been lucky to have had lots of experiences, lots of support mm -hmm. in working on my own uh, traumas and issues and hurts and concerns. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I have been lucky to have, you know, I've uh, to ha have grown up in a pretty stable home environment and, and, um, access to education and, and uh, lots of resources. And so, um, so, so yeah, everybody comes into the yoga classroom with their own, you know, ghosts, their own baggage, their own traumas. Um, but uh, the, the uh, capacity that each person has had in their life to work with these these issues and concerns and traumas mm -hmm. and baggage varies tremendously and i think that when you're a survivor when you have just been getting by for decades for all your life and for generations then healing has not been a priority yeah health has not been a priority yeah. you know in, in in that context something like yoga is uh feels like an absolute luxury. Mm -hmm. And so not just yoga, but any kind of healing modality, um, you know, they, it's, it's not something that, that uh, a lot of people who have been marginalized can identify with, mm -hmm. which is really why, are you familiar with the term healing justice? No. Oh, Marcel, I hope you will really look into this, especially as you uh, work on this blog not blog, but podcast, yeah. because um, it's it's very beautiful, revolutionary framework. Yeah. Um, it started in the mid-2000s with um, a woman named Cara Page and the Kindred Southern Healing Collective, okay. um, Black queer healers, 
in the South, and they developed this this framework um, of really joining the um, the uh, social justice movement with the work of healing. Okay, and recognizing that really without healing there is no justice, and we cannot really create justice without healing. And um, and so really bringing together the uh, the needs of of healing and making healing modalities available mm-hmm. to the people who most need them yeah but tied with social justice mm-hmm. so it's not spiritual bypassing it's not just healing taken out of context but healing in the service of collective liberation i love it healing in the service of creating the world that we want to live in mm-hmm. not just about um, not just a self-indulgent kind of uh, luxury for people who can afford it, but really, how do we liberate each other? Yeah. How do we, and, and also understanding that uh, healing justice is, is intersectional with all forms of justice, racial justice, economic justice, mm-hmm. uh, uh, all of that. That's beautiful. I, I, yeah. I, um... I think that Coral Centro Milwaukee has done some amazing work around that. Yes, yeah. yes, I, I definitely think that uh, Coral Centro is along those lines. Yeah. Wow. So, where do we go from here? Because I think you're you're touching on some hugely important topics of 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 giving away this uh this gift of health finding ways to give this to people who really who 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 could really benefit from it yeah well i'll just tell you a a story right now of um what's going on in detroit and what's on the uh, on my heart right now is uh of course detroit is one of the hubs of the protests Mm -hmm. for demanding um, police accountability and defunding the police in order to uh, refund uh, other institutions and, and other structures that that are going to really create community safety mm-hmm. rather than more violence. And so um, on Sunday night at the protests, and, and I go maybe once a week, but Baba Baxter Jones, who is my friend that I take care of, he's a um, disability justice activist and okay. elder in our community, and he's been going almost every night. And um, anyway, what happened Sunday night, neither of us were there, was uh, as the marchers were walking back, they were finishing up their march, they were walking back to the parking lot, the, the um, uh, their starting point, the police kettled them in. You know, they, they blocked them in, front and back. Hmm. Uh, on their route home mm-hmm. in order to uh, provoke them. And one of the police cars ended up driving through the crowd and injuring people wow. and nearly killing people. Mm. I mean, very close to killing people. But uh, luckily, um, there were no deaths. And uh, But uh, it, was, it was a very violent attack. You could see it on 
uh, social media. Mm -hmm. um, and so the community is re-traumatized. You know, there was also um, some um, a, uh, several nights of police brutality in, the, uh, in late May, early June. And then the police kind of backed off mm -hmm. and, you know, decided that they would give the protesters some space. But, last, but Sunday night was, it became violent again. And so the community is really traumatized. And what I am really feeling right now is that the activist movement is very much in need of healing. You know, that, that um, in order to be effective in our activist movements, we need that stability and grounding. We need that, we need uh to balance the five elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether. And, and when we are out on the streets marching and yelling and protesting, it's just all, all fire. Mm. And, uh, mm -hmm. and that will burn you out, of yeah. course, literally, yeah. you know? And so, uh, and then it also provokes the fire from the people that you are protesting. Mm. You know, and so then the police, you know, uh, were getting antagonized and they they struck out. Um, they struck at the protesters. And so how do we how do we create my I guess my question to myself and to my community is how do we create lasting healing, effective change, you know, without sacrificing each other's lives? you know, without causing more injury, without causing more harm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so really feeling that need to, and I've been kind of wrestling with this all morning, like, what can I do with what little I know, but the tools that I have to help bring this balance to my community, so that we can sustain ourselves mm -hmm. and not get killed uh, and not burn out. Um, and so, so that's how, what I would like to see more of in our community is, is how to, how do we bring this concept of health, this concept of healing justice mm -hmm. to our people mm -hmm. in order to create, yeah. um, Beautiful, effective, lasting change. So, the, so it's not just a bonfire that goes goes out after a few months. Right, right, yeah. Um, and so, and to be able to translate this energy into real momentum mm -hmm. that's going to make structural, institutional, permanent changes. Yeah, I think it's a it's a wonderful thing to be chewing on. Yeah, I, I feel like we, you know, the activist movement, um, you know, we just go all out and then um, uh, and lose that balance, lose that balance of, of um, what does sustained change look like. I guess Iyengar yoga is a, is a good metaphor, yeah. you know, for me. Yeah. I always come back to Iyengar yoga as a metaphor. And so, um, in terms of asana, uh -huh. you know, it would be a matter of consistency, uh -huh. practice, uh, imagination, 
creativity, trying new ways, uh, trying new setups, new props, mm -hmm. new sequences mm -hmm. for how to uh, approach a certain um, injury or uh, blockage or imbalance, um, uh, tapping into each other's ideas and resources, consulting with uh, my mentors and teachers, you know, going back to the source. Um, so those are some ways that, that uh, um, I would approach it from an Iyengar yoga standpoint. And so how do I apply that to the rest of life? That's what I've been yeah. wrestling with. And um, if we could, Paul, if we could kind of take a, a, a pause there, and, and if you, what I'm wondering for those who are listening and don't know what we're talking about when we say Yengar yoga, what, how, how would you describe a Yengar in terms of a, a practice that is is unique? Well, I guess what has really kept me in the Iyengar yoga community, Iyengar yoga movement, is um, what I love most is the, the depth. It's an, a bottomless well mm. of wisdom. Mm -hmm. um, BKS Iyengar, who um, passed in, in 2014 at the age of 95, almost 96, um, left this in just immense body of wisdom mm -hmm. about the body and how, uh, and, and when I say about the body, it's not, doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. He said, the uh, body is our first prop, mm. um, which sounds really strange. But what he meant by that is that the, we use the body in order to access consciousness. And so we're really shaping consciousness through the wisdom of the body. Mm -hmm. And um, the, that depth that he brought and all the tools working through asana, mm -hmm. um, but really working beyond asana. Can I pause you there real quick? So, yeah. so okay, so I'm, one of the things I'm trying to work out is the, the way we talk about the body and the mind. Because the way we yeah. do it, we automatically distinguish the two as if they're separate. That's right, and, yeah. And, you know... Yeah, and yeah, and Guruji famously said, BKS Iyengar said, you know, where does the body end and the mind begin? Where does the mind end and the spirit begin? Mm -hmm. There are no distinctions, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the way he really approached the practice. Yeah. Um, and so, so that, that depth, I mean, um, yeah, you told, me, you, Iyengar, you, you told me a story, or actually in class once, you, you told a story mm -hmm. as you said it. Um, you, you suggested that someone uh, released their hypothalamus or their pituitary gland. I forgot which, which one it was. Oh, right. It was a story about my mentor, Lois Steinberg, okay. and um, who was in Urbana, Illinois, and she was in a pose. Um, it, she was in India, mm -hmm. and she was in a pose, and we're in the practice hall. You know, like there's this huge practice hall at the Iyengar Institute, and everybody is there in the morning practicing together, but in, separately, but together in the same room. And... Um, and uh, BKS Iyengar, he just walked past her and he said, release your hypothalamus. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a way that he could penetrate yeah. with his eyes, with his body, with his senses, even into other, mm -hmm. in, in other people's bodies. Um, he, there's a way that he could penetrate yeah. the layers and, um, and 
and see the ways that we can work with the body in order to um, get deeper access. Mm -hmm. And so that's what keeps bringing me back to Iyengar Yoga is okay. I haven't found any other methodology that goes yeah. that deeply mm -hmm. and, with, um, and that invites each of us to develop those skills that were sort of, you know, kind of supernatural in someone like Vikas Iyengar, but, but really accessible to all of us yeah. to practice and develop. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, become and better at. For, for anyone who's listening and hasn't taken a course or a class and be in Iyengar yoga, uh, what it looks like is you might do five poses the whole class, maybe less, right? Sometimes, but yeah. I mean, often it's very active. It can yeah. be a lot of things. It can be, yeah, it can be very slow and deep, or it can be very quick. Well, especially especially the, the fundamentals yeah. because you're you're really learning what what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like. Um, um, you know, so you're in an asana and from the outside, it might look like, oh, you're just doing an asana, but the instruction is, is designed to, uh, guide each practitioner in really going more and more deeply into the body and developing the sensitivity, awareness, reflection, um, in order to really understand, to understand yourself, understand what's going on in your body. And to and then to be able to allow that effect to go through all the layers, yeah. from the physical to the physiological to the mental to the emotional to the spiritual. Yeah. So so hopefully the that teacher is helping you to go deeper and deeper into the awareness of yourself. Yeah. And to me, that awareness of the self is the key to shifting society. Mm. Because if we are each a hologram if we're each a fractal of the greater whole, then as we become more conscious, then we are affecting our communities, mm -hmm. our families, our constellations, mm -hmm. um, our neighborhoods, our cities. Yeah. And so that's really what, what uh, uh, we're after, what I'm after and what healing justice is after is to, is to create these shifts within our collectives, mm -hmm. but working through the individual, you know, like if I am stuck in my traumatized wounded self and I'm not able to go anywhere or do anything with that, then, then, uh, I'm not going to be of very much use to others until I can, I can find that capacity within myself yeah. to move yeah. out of that stuckness. Mm -hmm. And so I guess you could say anger yoga is a tool uh, through us now to help us move out of our our stuck areas. Well, and in 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 though, P.S. If you are stuck, it's yeah. very helpful to those in your yeah. tribe if you lean on them and ask for help. Absolutely, you know, yeah, and that that gives so much. But you know, I mean, I I have had to work on that to see it that way because because it, when when you know. I'm, I'm, I'm as a white male, I'm, I'm kind of been, um, conditioned that I just kind of should rely on myself, you know, even right. though I'm really propped up by all these other, you know, invisible forces and privileged. And, but so, yeah, it's, there's just so much giving in allowing someone else to share with you get, you know, yeah, so, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. And I think especially during this, uh, quarantine, you know, we've been spatially distancing mm -hmm. and so, uh, and so we don't, you know, we might not have as much human contact mm -hmm. as we 
uh, normally do. But yeah, that 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 interdependence. I think that that is something that is also you know a huge priority for me and. To me, what I see as a key part of community health is that cultivating the interdependence. Mm-hmm. And um, so in an asana, you know, how the body parts are dependent on each other, and then uh, taking that fractal larger into a classroom situation or a community, mm. how we depend on each other yeah. um, in a class, in, a, in, a, um, in any community. And, um, and really learning how to lean into each other and also to the spiritual beings, the, the nature spirits, the, the, our ancestors. You know, mm. uh, this season, it's um, uh, almost July now, and so it's peak berry season. Mm. Mulberries, cherries are out, raspberries, um, and so... So the, so nature is speaking through us and, and providing us with this incredible abundance. Yeah. And so if we can find that abundance in each other yeah. um, and um, in, in the life that is around us always, um, other, other humans, but also other life forms mm-hmm. and, uh, and invisible life forms as well. You know, I think that that is, that is a huge requirement um, prerequisite for health. Yeah, uh, and, and along those lines, and 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 what we were discussing earlier, uh, one of the things I think a lot about in terms of mindfulness practices, whether that's you know jumping rope mindfully or eating mindfully or or yoga practices or actual meditation, I think that a lot of a, a lot of why it's so powerful is because it connects us to the wordless. You know, our species mm-hmm. ha- our species has not always had language. And, and mm-hmm. for the majority of the time we've walked this earth, this planet, we haven't had language. And so mm-hmm. connecting to that, mm-hmm. which the deer have and the bears have and, and, and yeah. we had, is, yeah. is really powerful. And, and, and as I understand it, yoga really is, is the, the point of yoga, if, if we're going to be very myopic here, the point of yoga is to, to get to meditation, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The point of yoga, the, uh, is, uh, total liberation, total absorption, total absorption with the divine, okay. total absorption with, with, uh, ultimate consciousness, ultimate reality. And so, yeah. And it's, and so it's wordless. So we're take using words to get ourselves into that wordless mm-hmm. place, that wordless space. And often what I tell students is, you know, notice what is happening here. Don't try to put words to it. Just notice and feel and observe. Yeah. And um, and that yeah. Sometimes when we try to assign words, it's so limiting, you know, and it it mm-hmm. shrinks mm-hmm. what we the the um, the hugeness, the vastness yeah. that we are encountering, that we are entering, uh, gets shrunken when we try to quantify it into words. Mm-hmm. Um. So let me ask you a question, Marcel. Yeah. Uh, and so how do you see as a um, white cis man, uh-huh. how do you see the, um, the role of or the possibility or the necessity, um, the relationship of uh, white body supremacy with the health of the community and our cities 
and our country mm-hmm. um, in this time and place. Can you say white? Tell me what white body supremacy. The, so the term I use is white body supremacy. Yeah. In uh, so as distinct from just white supremacy, I feel like white supremacy is is pretty abstract concept. Okay. Um, and so, but and, if we really bring it down to the back into the body. Okay. And um, and uh, I'm. It's a term that um, I learned from Resma Medicum, who uses that to indicate that it's that white supremacy is enacted on a physical level on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. and so and so it's not just a matter of this vague system of white supremacy that's out there, yeah. but it's this very grounded day-to-day experience of the white body as the standard. Yeah. By yeah, which all yeah, yeah. other bodies are compared. Yeah, it's, it's not some nebulous concept. It's your, no. We can. We can. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. your embodiment. So the relationship yeah. between that and health, health, health of the of the self and of the community. Yeah, I, I'm. I guess where I go is I, I think about uh, how much profit there is in pain uh-huh and uh and how um i don't i don't know i guess i, I go to thinking about just the uh, the food that um folks who are struggling and uh, a lot of them mostly marginalized are are going to for for comfort and entertainment and and mm-hmm. to take care of pain is uh is really benefiting the one percent, or you know, not just the one percent, but so I, I don't. Know, I go to food. I don't. I don't know. I but I, mm-hmm. I guess I'm. I don't know if I'm hearing your question right, though. Either mm-hmm. I think there's a lot there, and I'm not. I'm not hearing. Yeah. Well, so I guess one another way to look at it is that um, white body supremacy is a huge impediment to health. Mm-hmm. You know, like as as long as we have white body supremacy, my community in in Detroit is is not going to experience real health. Mm. You know, an eighty percent black city that is that has a white mayor, yeah, and a white police force, yeah, and white bankers, mm-hmm. and you know, white. Um, real estate developers and, you know, uh, all of that mm-hmm. on down the line, my community, the 80% black community uh, is barred yeah. from experiencing true health. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, so yeah, what is the role? Let's, let's put it this way. What is the role of the um, conscious white body in a situation like this? Mm. Yeah, I think it's, it's enormous. It's enormous. Uh, I, uh, I I was listening to Richard Pryor recently, and mm-hmm. he talked in his stand-up, he was talking about being in, um, I think, in Lagos, Nigeria. And it was the first time he was uh-huh. in Africa. And yeah. he said um, he said he would see people who looked like people he knew from his hometown. I don't know where he's from originally. I think Peoria. He's from Peoria. And he yeah. said, oh, that's, that's, that's so-and-so. That's, that's the, that's the, uh, the, 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 um, the guy who I used to play basketball with, you know, like he would kind of like, oh, that's that guy, right? 
Mm-hmm. And then he said, I would see, I would see people like really successful in, in, in their position in Nigeria, but at home their, their, their counterpart was like struggling. Right. And he goes, Oh, I saw this diplomat. And he goes, that's Harold, the wino. And he goes, that's what you're supposed to be. <laughs> wow. That's so, that's profound. what he was supposed to be. Yeah. That's so profound. Mm-hmm. And so I just think about, you know, what, what's available to me and what do I see as a, as a potential? One of the things that I, I am, I love about, uh, cities where there are black people who are, um, able to have, um, financial success. Okay. Like Chicago, like Atlanta is, uh, is I, is I, I don't, I guess, I don't know. I just, um, I don't know how to say it without, I don't know how to, I'm, I'm going to say it. And, and maybe there's some wrong things in my opinion here. I'm okay with that. I don't know if I've ever really talked about it yeah. uh, too much out loud. I've talked about it, but like, like I'll, I'll go see a jazz concert at the Chicago symphony center in Chicago and, mm-hmm. and it, it will be filled with black people. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, I go see that I'd go to a, a concert like that in Milwaukee and I don't see that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think about like, you know, what I grew up seeing as a, as, you know, people who looked like me potential for, um, Mm -hmm. you know, what that, what that allowed for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so, and I'm complicated because I actually, I present as white, but I've never accepted Mm -hmm. that about myself because, because Mm -hmm. my father is from Peru to a, and he's mm-hmm. Italian Peruvian and and so he's he's he looks Latino and and I mm-hmm. and I don't I never have looked like him so I grew up kind of with my family in Milwaukee seeing them as as Peruvians Italians and like kind of wanting and wanting that you know not mm-hmm. wanting what 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 I'm I'm showing here so yeah. so it's things I've been I've been thinking about in in, in different ways for a while yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hear you what you're what you're saying about, you know, people, um, people of color being able to, you know, live in freedom Mm -hmm. and, um, and um, have have economic stability and, and um, have access to arts and culture and Mm -hmm. all that. And I mean, there's, there's a a, a, um, tremendous um, community of uh, artists, black artists, people of color artists here in Detroit as well. Um, and uh, at the same time, I feel like, uh, yes, we need access at the same time that we need to be recreating society yes. so that you don't need to buy, to be able to afford a $50 ticket to go to the cultural center, you know, so that um, um, uh, we're not dependent on capitalism, you don't have to make you know fifty or a hundred thousand dollars a year in order to have certain kinds of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why all our classes right now online are donation. Mm-hmm. It's all what we call community gift because mm-hmm. we don't want it to be. No, you don't have to make fifty thousand dollars a year to be able to afford yeah. yoga class once a week. Yeah. You know, you can you can make ten thousand dollars a year. And still come to yoga class I love it. two or three times a week, you know. And so, um, and so, uh, it yeah. W- uh, how do we create a society so that's not contingent? Yeah. Um, so it, that health and healing are not contingent on your income. That, and that's what I want to. This is that's what this is about. What I'm doing here mm-hmm. is is kind of let's look at what are we doing that is is screwing us up. 
because mm-hmm. we've we've really deviated from our natural trajectory in, in our evolutionary course, and and in the last, especially since the, the we've been industrialized, it's just like we've we've we're just like all out of whack in a lot of ways. Yeah. How yeah. can we return to some of the mm-hmm. more natural things, and how can we how can we evolve on purpose, honorably, mm-hmm. to yeah. you know ourselves and our greater yeah. community? Yeah. Well, you know, um, Grace Lee Boggs. Grace Lee Boggs is one of the main reasons why I moved to Detroit okay. in the first place. Yeah. And um, uh, a friend told her a really great story. She described how she, the, when she first met Grace, she was like 16 years old, and she was in a summer program um, that uh, um, um, Grace and others had organized. And when she met Grace, the first thing she said to this friend Marisol was, the most important thing you can do is grow your own food. I mean, so mundane Mm -hmm. and yet so revolutionary. And so um, I hear so much in that statement. Uh, The first thing I hear is the most important thing we can do is reconnect to the earth and and be part of the earth's rhythms Mm -hmm. and be rooted Mm -hmm. in a place on the planet and put roots down in that place. And... uh, and then this whole concept of food justice, food sovereignty, mm. uh, is so important. I mean, right. it's really uh, less so now. But when I first moved to Detroit, it was still really very much considered a food desert, um, which is a very offensive term, you know, um, because um, there was there's so much life going on. But the big box groceries, and not that the big box groceries should be our source of food, mm-hmm. but that for most people in the modern era, that is. And so the big box groceries had left the city. And, um, and so uh, the importance of growing your own food was very palpable and very visible and very obvious. Um, and, and, I, and I think one of the really great things that's come out of the uh, pandemic is that so many more people are gardening, <laughs> you know, because they're at home, they have time, and they see how important it is, yeah. how important it is. Yeah to have access to your own food. I would say, I would add not only growing your own food, but foraging. I'm super oh, into yeah. foraging. Are you really? And, uh, yeah, that. and yeah. I'm really, I think it's so important to know, uh-huh. you know, the native plants, what's growing in the alleys, what's growing in the parks, what's growing in the uh, side lots, and um, to, to know the plants, to understand the mm. plants, and to enjoy the plants, mm. harvest them, use them as nutrition and as medicine. How did you and, learn? Uh, how did I learn? Uh, you know Harvey Taylor and Susie? No. They're, they're, uh, um, so uh, Harvey and Susie are longtime Milwaukeeans, and okay. Susie um, was diagnosed with cancer many years ago. Okay. And she decided that she would take it upon herself to heal herself. And the way she did that was um, uh, uh, by changing her diet radically mm-hmm. and um, eating eating from the earth mm-hmm. and um, uh, eating wild plants. Okay. You know, I mean, among other things. Yeah. And so, so uh, Harvey and Susie were really into wild plants and foraging. And so... Um, so yeah, they were my first teachers. Okay. And then I've just kind of continued to, you know, to ask around and research okay. and experiment. Yeah. <laughs> and so so I think, yeah, growing our own food, yeah. foraging for our own food. It's yeah. so human. Like think about yeah. you know, our our ancestors from thousands of years back. 
And my mother actually was the first forager mm-hmm. I knew. Mm-hmm. My, my, my grandmother like, too. Yeah. yeah, it's it's so um, it's so maternal, you know, mm-hmm. and it's so connected to the earth. Yeah, and um, and yeah, we would just be like driving or walking, and she'd say, "Stop." <laughs> Look at this, mm-hmm. and then she'd make us pull, you know, harvest plants with her, and um, and of course, as a kid, I absolutely hated it. I thought it was so yeah. gross and so embarrassing. But now, you know, what I would do to be able to go foraging with her again, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, she passed away in two thousand one. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, being in being in harmony with the earth, being living in interdependence with the earth. Well, and, and, and uh, sorry, the, the the question too that really has inspired me to almost learn about foraging is like, what would you do if all of a sudden the food supply stopped? Exactly. How would you yeah. survive? Yeah, and we had we would have to lean on each other. We would have to um, learn so much, and then. Uh, uh, but I, I think that that becoming food independent, having that food sovereignty, mm-hmm. is the first step to um, to uh, dismantling capitalism mm. and creating other economic systems. You know, and um, and so when we when I no longer need to buy food, then what else can I? no longer buy i no longer buy clothes mm-hmm. i mean i did have to buy shoes the other day i got them used <laughs> but you know i hate shopping yeah. um but yeah. i've even been um i sew you know i make things yeah. um and i've even been making my own underwear this is like really exciting <laughs> and revolutionary because you know otherwise it's sweatshop right ah, it's sweatshop yeah. like all this stuff is made in sweatshops yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how do we stop exploiting each other? How do we stop exploiting the planet? How do we stop they, putting such a heavy carbon you're not, you're not talking about Bikram yoga, are you? Oh, God. <laughs> I was wondering what would happen to Bikram yoga post-pandemic because that is a total, you know, super spreader situation to, oh, be, yeah, yeah, yeah. to be locked in in a uh, heated room with yeah. all the windows closed into this tiny, I don't no. know what's going to I'm going to, I'm going to assume something idea. real quick here though. And I think I'm right. And I just want to acknowledge and I, I, I want to honor a, a man in BKS mm-hmm. the younger who had a lot of power and didn't abuse it. That's true. I mean, there, yeah, he was extremely, um, ethical, moral, upstanding yeah. human being. And, and what he said was that he said, don't, don't judge me on the mat, judge me off the mat. Yeah. You know, look at what I do off the mm-hmm. mat. That's what that's what yeah. really matters. That's what really counts. We, I mean, I will say that there is um, that there is, you know, um, a very strong anti-guru movement going on, mm-hmm. and um, I have mixed feelings about it. Yeah. You know, I, I think that it is true that there have been lots of damaging cult leaders that have done. So Mm -hmm. much harm, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, when we um, cut ourselves off from tradition and lineage, then Mm -hmm. then what is our grounding? You know, we started off the conversation talking about grounding and talking about earth element. Then, what is our ground? And also, I feel like um, if I didn't call myself an Iyengar yoga teacher, I feel like I would not be giving adequate credit Mm -hmm. to where my learning has come from, and and the wisdom and generosity of, of my teachers. Um, 
On the other hand, I feel like, you know, it's very much now that Gita Ji, uh, his daughter, had um, passed away two years ago. Oh, I didn't know that. That was a very sudden, shocking death. We did not anticipate that at all. Mm -hmm. But with both of them gone, there is um, there's a freedom right now um, mm -hmm. where there is space to create some, um, some new uh, ways of operating. And that's exciting to me because I'll tell you what, one thing that's happened since the George Floyd murder is that um, the inherent racism of so many of our institutions has been revealed. Mm. You know, they were always there, yeah. but, but either we just like put up with it or we decided to uh, look the other way or, um, and so I, I will say that the Iyengar Yoga National Association is, um, is uh, in major transition right now in a good way. Uh, I, I won't even call it transition. I'm, I've been trying to provoke them into transition, but, <laughs> but they are in a deep okay. um, state of, uh, of self-questioning and, um, yeah. and in the process of making some... Um, hopefully major institutional yeah. changes. I think that's happening on a lot, a lot yeah. of levels. And, and, so, and I think people ha should, I'm, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that people have the right to, to transform, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I think some things that I, in, in a month or two, I'm probably going to look back on and think, wow, that was, that was really uh, not forward thinking or progressive or whatever. Yeah. 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 I don't know about you, Marcel, but I feel like the past three months, I feel like, uh, has been like 10 years <laughs> of growth for me. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I feel like it's been yes. a real hot house. It ha yes. Me too. Yeah. I, I was talking to a friend and yesterday about something and he, he was giving me counsel on, on something that I was, str I'm struggling with. And, and after like, you know, a few minutes I had to stop him and say, I can't chew on anymore. I'm chewing on so much right now. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. There's been so much upheaval that um, and so much time to ourselves mm -hmm. that I feel like I I feel like I'm in graduate school again mm. in terms of like the mm. learning curve the steepness yeah. of my learning yeah. curve and it's kind of amazing to me um, but um, but then now the the world you know uh, if if each of us is going through this this tremendous transformative time then our institutions have to kind of catch up with that. Yeah. You know, our systems, our, our, our organizations, our institutions have to kind of catch up with, with that new vibration. Mm. Um, so um, anyway, one thing that's so BKS Iyengar, you know, among his controversies, you know, social media can blow anything up in a very short period. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that came out was um, this video of him teaching in a very harsh punitive way mm -hmm. to a student uh, on stage at a convention, at a conference. And mm -hmm. it became this sort of meme of like, oh, look, this is the culture of Iyengar Yoga. No wonder teachers are so mean. And, you know, it's a culture of abuse and you can't yeah. perform it. And, and it became, and it was, um, you know, I had really mixed feelings about it because I do feel like there is, there is sometimes abuse. There, there are stories of abuse, and, mm -hmm. and most recently, um, you know, uh, 
uh, one of the senior teachers was decertified. I don't know if you know any of this, but Manusa yeah. Manos in San Francisco was decertified um, last year for literally decades of sexual abuse mm. and yeah. um, misconduct. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, and um, the people in power knew about it, you know? The the senior teachers knew about it, yeah, and um, and decided not to not yeah. to do anything about it, and so um, finally, you know, after many years, um, he was uh, called out and decertified, um, and so then there was a sort of movement of oh, you know, his he learned that abusive behavior from BTS anger, that sort of thing going on, and so what I'm doing, my sort of personal task, I feel, is to uh, recontextualize Iyengar yoga. Hmm. So, you know, BKS Iyengar, mm-hmm. he, he was born in colonized India. Mm-hmm. He learned Iyengar yoga through Krishnamacharya at um, Yogashala for Indian boys. And it was kind of a warrior school. It was all um, adolescent boys. And it was, and it was like really like building them up mm-hmm. and, and um, building them up to be warriors mm-hmm. and, and leaders um, and um, it was, so it he, was in Pune, or no, this was in Mysore in southern India. Okay, um, and then he was sent to Pune because um, they needed a teacher up there, and he was only like 17, 18, he was very wow. young. Um, and so then, uh, uh, he you know, he learns this very strong athletic um, uh, practice. And very quickly realizes that most people can't do it. And mm. then he starts adapting, using the bricks, using the straps, you mm. know, using the blankets. Yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's and, the prop yoga, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So he started uh, uh, modifying and adapting the yoga mm. to, to the people in front of him. And... Um, but then the, the Europeans... What came and first, the Iyengar yoga or the folding chair? <laughs> yeah, that's... So, so you'll have to take into meditation. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but uh, so then he teaches this really, you know, this very strong assertive warrior style of mm-hmm. yoga to mm-hmm. Westerners and they love it. Um, but then they kind of adopted. So he was saying how, how he encountered so much racism when he started traveling outside of India mm. and how it was um, ironic and, um, and how he had to learn how to be, this is, these are his words, how to be the slave driver to the slave driver. So that mm. is how to wow. teach, how the wow. colonized, the colonized is being hired to teach the colonizer. So what is he going to teach them, you know? And so, um, and so but then that, that very you know, strict, um, strong teaching style was adopted by Westerners mm-hmm. and became kind of the norm. Yeah. So I feel like my generation's task is to really understand the context of what Iyengar Yoga developed out of and then to adapt it to our current yes. time and place. Yes, yes. So that... That yeah. harshness is no longer necessary. Yeah. Um, and but how do I how do I bring that yeah. um, that uh, 
stability, strength, and firmness、mm-hmm. without、um, force, without aggression, without shame. What if you can't though? What if you can't? What if the warrior has to come to? It does have、level. to come out sometimes, yeah, and、um, and and I don't hesitate. I don't hesitate when it does need to come out, but but、um, I try to be really mindful of who I'm speaking to,、yeah. you know, because in a way, there's also this like when a student comes to you, it's not just them as an individual. They're walking in with their culture. They're walking in with their ancestors.、Yeah. They're walking in with their traumas. You okay, know, and、yeah. so, and their parents' traumas and grandparents' traumas. Well, and, and so, go ahead. So, so, but okay. So, one of the things that I'm I struggle with, and、mm-hmm. I think that we struggle with as a as a, as, a, as a global unit now is is, and, and I think that that's part of the that's part of what's been given rise to this Trumpism is is a, a, is is like I want to be respectful, but I also want to be respectful. Of, I want to be respectful of others, but I also also want to be respectful of myself. And so,、yeah. so. Um, if I'm if I'm constantly concerned with how it's it's how it's landing, then、yeah. it's like kind of like this walking on eggshells. And I, and I'm not saying that you know. And、yeah. I, and I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here.、Okay? Yeah, I think it's a matter of really honing our skills. And I'm sure that you experience this as a therapist, honing our skills so that we can really meet the person in front of us. And and、uh, bring what is needed in that moment. Yeah. And so that's going to vary depending on the person and depending on the day. And it's all. And so that's also assuming that we know what's needed. Yes, but I think see,、uh, this is where, like, from an Ayanga Yoga standpoint,、um, I guess what what I my training is is to see where the physical imbalance is. Is to look at a body and to understand where the physical imbalances and blockages are. So, but then the thing is, sometimes you can't go after that、uh, for a first class, you know.、Mm-hmm. Um, so, like for instance, somebody might come in with very stooped, rounded shoulders,、mm-hmm. and but、um, but、uh, to tell them to stand up straight and roll their shoulders back, then they they're probably not going to get it the first class. Probably have to start with the feet.、Mm. Probably have to start with the legs,、mm-hmm. you know, and then kind of work your way up. Yeah. And so, but but I think that yeah, I think my task、uh, when somebody comes to me is to is to look and see and feel. Okay, this is this is where the blockages are. This is where the imbalances yeah. are. Yeah. And then and so and kind of like experience them as a totality, and then figure out a starting point.、Um, And and be willing to take time to be willing to take weeks and months and years, you know, in in developing that um, that uh, consciousness and and addressing those imbalances and blockages that I am witnessing. Yeah, I can only assume that they've come to me because they want to address that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I just、um, I just also want to get at that. You know, if we're gonna be If if this if this revolution that's happening now is going to have lasting effect, lasting change, we cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. There, there's、uh-huh. there, the, the 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 war. We if we get rid of all the warrior energy,、uh-huh. I, yeah. I, I'm concerned about that because it offers、yeah. it offers us some things. Yeah, you know, and some. Yeah, and just just、oh, like、definitely. just just like 
you know, uh, you know, people say, oh, you know, the protesters, are, you know, I, I agree with them, but they shouldn't be violent. Well, maybe that's what's needed right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and so. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, I think it's a matter of really, um, in, if we come back to the elements, you know, to see what are the elements that I need to bring to the situation, yeah. you know, and, and to be able to access all those elements, each of those elements. Um, and whoops, that's, I think that's my poem or something. Did you hear that? No. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, so, so I want to, I just want to also, uh, as we kind of wind down here, I want to mention that, um, I find that, that for me, Iyengar yoga really provided a foundation for, for me and my body. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so I really, I can't recommend it enough for someone who's interested in yoga and, and wants to get, you know, if you go to a class, a general yoga class, flow vinyasa class, and you look around and people are doing all kinds of weird things, it's, it's cause they don't, they don't know, you know, and, um, and Iyengar is the only yoga class I've ever cried in. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it was so. It, it was so damn beautiful. It was. I'm not. It wasn't mm -hmm. a painful cry. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I think that uh, it's designed to really open you up in whatever way that, uh, uh, however far you're willing to go that yeah. day. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's very profound. Um, and it really addresses all the layers of the self. Yeah. Um, if you have a, a skillful teacher, you know, to, to work through the physical body in order to uh, open up all those layers. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, um, I feel like we touched on so many things that we're going to have to eventually meet again to talk some more. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. 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 You, are, you are such a giving beautiful, radiant being that I, 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 when I talk with someone like you and, and think and reflect on the work that you're doing where you are, I am so grateful that we have someone like you on this planet. Uh, you know, I was just thinking about how, um, you know, especially during this pandemic, thank you for that, Marissa, that um, it, when we're not, you know, out with our people and in groups, that it's it's been very easy to feel isolated. And I was thinking about, you know, if uh, on my deathbed, there are even 10 people who claim that I made a positive impact on their lives, and then it's completely worth it. Yeah. Completely worth it. Yeah. So anyway, thank you for that, Rissa. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I will uh, post links to your website and your blog. And if mm -hmm. people are, are interested in Following up with you with your contact information is there. Mm -hmm. And uh, otherwise, you got some some really heartfelt uh, writings that you put out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, and you're, you're, you know, we obviously touched on other aspects of health, uh, that, that what, what it means to you and, and you're a creator. And uh, mm -hmm. so thank you for, for yeah. being here with me today. Yeah. And good luck with this blog. I love the idea of it. And I look forward to listening to the other, other episodes. Thanks for doing this. Mm. That is one badass yoga nun. We suck. Peaceful warrior maximizing the minimum. Got some words that 
are in part inspired by our discussion and also inspired by what has been an anthem for me the last few months, and that is a piece written by Kabir, Ernest Kabir Dawkins and Kahari B, the words at least, and it's about 15 years old, and it is a story of the Chicago 7 trial that took place in 1968, and Kahari B talks about system and the status quo, and I think about that as these invisible forces that act on especially people of color to allow for a bland, bland world of restriction. Think of gravity. Think of muons, these invisible forces that act on us that we can't necessarily see, but they're there. Some days, it seems that our species is just writing one long obituary for the roaches or the corn to read. Whoever we bequeath this rock to. To whoever our fossils fuel. And then, I steep in the waters of someone like the badass yoga nun, Gwisak. And I'm reminded that there is another way that we can evolve honorably. And that this isn't even our rock to bequeath. I'm also reminded of the words of the wise W.H. Auden, who said, we are here on earth to help others. What the others are here for, I have no idea. System says that to help others, we should feed them and pick up the litter, the blunt wrappers, the soda and the malt liquor bottles that we see strewn throughout system cities. It does not say question the system that allows for a world where the only solace afforded some, the only freedom afforded some, the only relief afforded some, was once wrapped in those containers, in those blunt wrappers, in those malt liquor bottles, in those soda bottles, and mostly a crime. In these momentous times, my invite is that we do our work to question the system and to support agents of change who are working at the systemic level, a la Color of Change, a la Real Justice Pack, two organizations that are doing some beautiful work that I'll put links to below.